Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. In the long, long history of the National Football League, one rivalry usually grabs your attention immediately, the Bears and the Packers. Some even think that this is the oldest rivalry in the league, and we'll talk about that in a moment as well. However, the focus of this program will be to drift back to 1921 when the two teams met for the very first time on the gridiron. Some familiar names were already in place with Curly Lambeau leading the Packers and George Hallis fronting the squad then known as the Decatur Staleys. Hallis had recently worked out an agreement in October of 1921 with owner A.E. Staley where Hallis would take over the operation of the club and move its home games from Decatur, Illinois to Chicago. As part of this agreement, the team would play under the name of the Staleys for the remainder of the 1921 campaign. In 1922, Hallis would officially change the name of his team to the Chicago Bears. The inclusion of tiny Green Bay, Wisconsin into the membership of the NFL was not really unusual in the early 1920s. Many smaller towns and cities such as Hammond, Indiana, Canton, Ohio, and Rock Island, Illinois were also members of the league during that time. Green Bay, however, is the only representative from the smaller communities that has survived to this day in the NFL. Through solid community support, an innovative method of financing the early team, and the eventual league television revenue sharing, have all allowed the Packers to remain viable in the NFL over the last century. In 1921, the citizens of Green Bay were justifiably proud of the spirit of their team and were all in when supporting the organization from tremendous local coverage by the Green Bay Gazette newspaper to the hundreds of rabid followers that traveled with the football team to its faraway Sunday games. We should note that the population of Green Bay in 1920 was just 31,643, and today it's just a bit over 106,000. But the fans of the Packers were boundless in their enthusiasm for their team when it entered the league in 1921. The city of Chicago was the first to experience the unusual spirit, again in quotes, of the Packers fans. After playing their first eight games at home, losing only a 13-3 battle to the Rock Island Independents, the Packers were 7-1 and overjoyed to receive their invitation to visit Chicago and engage both the Cardinals and the Staleys on successful weekends in late November of 1921. At the time, Chicago's population hovered around 2.7 million, ironically, which is very similar to today, so the upcoming matchups would truly fit the David versus Goliath scenario. The Green Bay Gazette admitted as such by stating, in quotes, Green Bay is the smallest city in the circuit, and it is the Packers' first year in the big game, unquote. 
The Cardinals and Green Bay met first on November 20, 1921 at Normal Park in Chicago when the teams battled to a 3-3 tie. Two future Hall of Famers, Curly Lambeau of the Packers and Patty Driscoll of the Cardinals, kicked field goals for their respective clubs. For some reason, there was a bit more excitement surrounding the game when, with the Staley scheduled for the following Sunday on November 27th. While the arrangements for both games were similar, we'll examine the preparations in Green Bay for the Staley's contest. First of all, the tie with the Cardinals did a tremendous amount to boost the confidence of the Packers and their loyal fandom. Although working in the league's smallest city, Lambeau had done an excellent job of attracting top-flight players from around the Midwest, including five former Notre Dame players, including himself. In other words, the Packers were ready for the big bad Staley's, and the Green Bay Gazette confidently predicted a competitive battle. It said, Sunday, the Packers squad plays its most important game of the year at Cubs Park. Chicago against the Decatur Staley's, who are one of the strongest professional 11s and the pigskin chasing wheel. I had never heard pigskin chasing wheel before. A win for the Packers will give Green Bay a claim on the championship of the country. The Packers prepared for the game by arriving in town early and practicing twice daily at Loyola University near Cubs Park, while the Gazette hammered away at the growing migration planned for the trip to the Windy City in an article published on the Friday before the game, where it said, Interest over the game is warming up. On to Chicago appears to be the slogan of the football fans in this neck of the woods, and when the whistle blows on Sunday, at least 500 rooters are expected to be in the Packers section. Special coach cars on the train to Chicago for Green Bay were filling up fast with a special round-trip fare of $9.69. The entire group of several hundred would be housed at the Stratford Hotel in Chicago. In addition, a 20-piece band was secured to accompany the team and the Gazette reported that an appeal was sent out to fans to make it possible for the band to accompany the team by making contributions. The response was prompt and several donations ranging in size from $1 to $10 have come in. Even Curly Lambeau joined in the pregame frenzy by stating, We'll beat them. After giving the Staley's the once-over, I feel confident that the Packers will be champions of the Middle West Sunday night. Come on down, fans, and let's show Chicago that Green Bay is the best little football town in the country. Now, if fans were unable to follow Curley's advice and attend the game in, in Chicago in person, there was another helpful way for the locals to follow the game as well as raise some money. As it had been done for the Cardinals game a week before, seats were being sold in Green Bay's Turner Hall, where the results of each play in Chicago would be telegraphed back to Wisconsin and then relayed to the anxious audience. The Green Bay Gazette explained how this high-tech innovation worked. It said, Each play will be given off the wire by downs, and although players can't be seen in action, a little use of your imagination will probably add more excitement than if one were present at the game itself. Mulligan Scroogey will handle the megaphone and his amusing antics ought to be a big attraction of the afternoon game. Apparently, Mulligan Scroogey had done such a great job calling out the plays during the Cardinals game the week before when the system was first used that additional information would be forthcoming during the Staley's clash, according to the Gazette, which said, 
Aside from the actual story of the game play-by-play, play, interesting sidelights and features will be given to the spectators covering the complete goings-on at Cubs Park. Upon arriving in Chicago for the big game after the approximately 200-mile rail journey, the multitude of Packers fans and their vivacious 20-piece band decided to capture the streets of Chicago as reported by the Gazette, which said, Stayed old Chicago got a new thrill on Sunday and the college authorities who claim that there ain't no such thing as spirit in professional football stood back and gasped as the rooters from Green Bay, Wisconsin took the town by storm Sunday morning and held full sway until the last car of the special occursion pulled out from the Northwestern about three bells Monday morning. Headed by a lumberjack band of 20 pieces, some 500 fans from the Wisconsin town invaded Chicago for the game between the Packers and Staley's for the Midwest Championship. The Badgers started whooping things up from the minute they arrived. But there's more. Despite the fact that parades are barred in Chicago, said the Gazette, unless a permit is secured, the Bay Rooters trailed up the street from the depot to the Stratford Hotel and let everyone know who they were and why they were there. A couple of weeks later, an article on the Rock Island Argus described the unusual sight of the Packers fans as they paraded through the streets of Chicago. The Argus said, with them came the famous band Every man clad in loggers' costume and none alike, bright-colored Mackinac coats, heavy woolen stockings, boots, corduroy trousers, and so forth, and they knew all sorts of music from classical down to the jazzy sort. Green Bay takes its Pro 11 like Princeton does its Tigers. Unfortunately, the mayhem shared by the Packers fans did not translate to the gridiron as the Staley's cruised to an easy 20-0 win over the visitors. Touchdowns by Pete Stinchcomb, Pard Pierce, and George Hallis himself paved the way to the victory. Even in defeat, the Loyal Gazette was proud of its team, stating, The Packers were beaten, but not disgraced. Every man on the team played great football. They were there in the battling every minute, and when the final whistle blew, there was plenty of glory in the defeat. Well, we today may never again see the spirit of the early Packers fans as they were exactly in 1921. Aside from this being the first game in the rivalry with the Bears, the contest did seem to be the first to truly prove that the game of pro football indeed had a pulse. That it was not simply played for quick money and forgotten loyalties. And what about that rivalry? Is the Bears-Packers matchup the oldest in NFL history? Not really. Although the two teams are still playing almost every year, the oldest rivalry in the NFL began with the Bears and Cardinals on November 28, 1920, a year before, followed by the Cardinals and the Packers' first encounter on November 20, 1921. Then the Bears and the Packers, as just described, met for their initial meeting on November 27, 1921, making it the third oldest rivalry in the league. As we wrap up today's episode, we'll look back one last time at the spirit that Green Bay brought to the NFL in 1921 and how it may have changed the general public's perception of professional football. After that first Daily's Green Bay game in 1921, Chicago sports writer Ed Smith wrote the following about the Packers and their fans. He said, if there was more of this kind of spirit shown in professional football, the game would jump to the front with a rush. I 
take my hat off to Green Bay. It was splendid. And so it was almost 100 years ago when guys with great names like Curly Lambeau and Mulligan Scrooge helped make the world aware of the Green Bay Packers, a tradition of spirit that the Green Bay faithful continue today. Thank you for sharing part of your day with us on the Sports History Network, and please join us next time for a look at a very special player in Cardinals and NFL history, Ali Matson, who was once traded for nine players. Thank you. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup. Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast is a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squires, a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on a Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.